Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us here this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the joy of being the campus pastor here this weekend. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much for coming to celebrate with us this weekend. Uh, This is a weekend where we celebrate the fact that death was defeated and that we really do get to walk in the victory that Jesus has purchased for us. And so today we uh, really do have a weekend of celebration as we consider uh, that life is forever different because of what happened uh, and what we celebrate this weekend in what Jesus did at the cross and defeating the grave. And so uh, we're just so glad you're here this morning. As we've thought and prayed and considered about what uh, uh, we were thinking and praying about for Easter this year, uh, the word that just kept coming to mind over and over again is this word you see in the wall behind me here, hope. We thought about Easter, we thought, man, there's not many things in life that bring hope quite like the message of Easter and how Jesus changes everything. And as I consider the world around us, I see a world that is desperate for hope a world that is full of difficulties and pain, and some of the pain we see is distant and impersonal, like chemical spills and and international wars and financial crisis and the fears and worries that we see on the news out there. That's the distant and impersonal fears, and yet there's the personal ones that are very close to us. The loved one that we know that got sick, the loved one that we lost before we thought it was their time the heartache and anxieties and wrestles that keep you up at night, the relational tensions that you walk in, the fact that as a society, our suicide rate is higher than it's ever been, tells me one thing. We have a world that's in desperate need of hope. And we believe Jesus is the answer to that hope. And so what we're going to talk about today is the fact that Jesus gives hope in three specific areas as a result of the resurrection this morning. And I hope uh, you find the answer to some questions this morning. I hope you find the answer to the question of not only does God have an answer for the problems out there, but God has an answer for the problems right here that are near and close uh, to our hearts. And as I consider a period of time where people were desperate for hope and really wanted uh, answers and something that they could look to, I think of the era of the Great Depression a period in American history where there was destitute and people were in great poverty and people worked very hard to even put food on the table. And it was an incredibly difficult time uh, for our nation. In the middle of that uh, period where not only hopes were drained, but finances were drained, some, some really good people rose to the surface who said, we want to help people through this time. And yet still others rose to the surface uh, who used this time with wicked intentions uh, for uh, really, we don't know what purposes, but they did it. One of those men was a man by the name of Lorenzo D. Buchanan. Uh, He was a man from Texas. He owned a grocery store, and he dreamed up this whole scheme and started telling reporters uh, that his ancestor, William Buchanan, had recently uh, had a a state that had been released from a 99-year agreement where basically it was held off, but now it was finally made available. It was worth $850 million. There was prime Manhattan real estate, included in it, and all that you had to do was prove kinship to William Buchanan, who he claimed uh, was the cousin of President James Buchanan, to give the story credibility. And so what happened as a result of this getting out in the news is just pandemonium ensued across America, because anybody who thought they had any relation to any Buchanan that ever existed in the moment of the Great Depression thought, "Ah, here's our answer. Here's how we get out. Here's how we can finally break free from uh, this financial difficulty. And this went on for five years, even after Lorenzo and his lawyer came out and said, listen, this was all a lie. It was a hoax. I made this whole thing up. Judges came out and said, it's not true. It doesn't exist. Historians came out and said, there's no inheritance out there. There's not, this property isn't even in his name. People continued to believe it. Why? Because they were so desperate for hope. 
But it didn't end with that generation because what happened was these individuals actually went to lawyers and these agents that they were called to help them claim their estate and they would take thousands of dollars or equivalent of thousands of dollars in today's money to try to secure these funds. They just take the money and run away that they had all these notarized documents claiming their inheritance. But everybody realized it was fake, but they kept them, they put them in their journals, their Bibles, and it went up into the attic. Well, when those, that generation began to pass away, their children found these documents and thought, oh, we found mom and dad's millions. And they went back to the courts and the courts are like, no, it's been all a lie this whole time. Which tells me generation after generation, we are desperate for something to come change our circumstances. We're desperate for a little bit of hope in this world. And I want you to know this morning that you have an inheritance. It's far more valuable than $850 million, but here's the problem with this inheritance. We're all ineligible for it. We can't receive it. Here's how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. If not, it'll be on the screen here behind me. Verse 50. What I'm saying to your brothers and sisters is this is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. He said, there is an inheritance out there in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is where God's righteous rule reigns supremely, that sin, death, and sorrow have no room. Evil has been squashed. It is perfect peace. He said, that is the kingdom of God. It's out there for eternity, but we can't inherit it. There's something wrong, which makes me ask a couple questions. Why can't we inherit it? Is it just like the James Buchanan uh, or the Lorenzo D. Buchanan story, just this big hoax, right? Is it just something that the first century followers uh, fabricated because they were also in a very difficult political position and they needed a story of hope? You know, that's one of the great accusations against Christianity, that Jesus never actually rose from the dead. Like there was this whole Jesus guy, but then his followers just made up these stories because people were desperate for hope. Well, Paul actually answers that question at the beginning of the chapter in verse three. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has been predicted in the scriptures for thousands of years. He said, we saw it coming. We saw it. We witnessed it. It happened. And not only did the scriptures talk about it, he said, guys, we saw this with our own eyes. Because after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he met with all of his followers. He talked with them, and he even talked to 500 of them at a time. And so the resurrection is a historically proven moment by eyewitness people who wrote it down for us. And so the inheritance is legitimate. Then why can't we get it? What's in the way? Well, he answers that question for us in verse 21. And so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. He said the reason we can't inherit eternal life is because you and I belong to the lineage and line of Adam, which is the first man who, if you know the story, in the Garden of Eden rebelled against God and his ways and instead uh, chose Satan and sin and brought destruction upon mankind. 
I don't know if you know this, but you were never designed to experience pain, sorrow, and suffering. You were never designed to know death. You were never designed to know any of the heartache that you know. Sin did that to us. What we have inherited as mankind is not a wealthy inheritance, but we've inherited spiritual poverty, brokenness because of what sin has done. And I don't have to tell you that. You feel that. You might not have the words to describe it, but those are the words, that sin has come and destroyed what God has intended to be perfect. But here's the good news. He said, you don't have to know, you don't have to trace your lineage back to Adam. We all belong to Adam. He said, but there's a new heritage you can receive. You can receive a new lineage, and that is that you would belong to Jesus. Where you inherited sin and death from Adam, you can inherit new life and forgiveness from Jesus. He said, anybody who belongs to him chooses to change, surrender to him, receives new life. This is what he talks about in verse 23. He said, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So when Jesus walked out of that grave, he defeated sin and death. When he walked out of that grave, he was showing you what your future could be if you'd put your faith in him. And when Jesus walked out of that grave, he said to anybody who would follow him, you also get to defeat death. You also get to walk in victory and death doesn't have to have a hold on you. He said, you get to experience this new life. He says, when they will be raised when he comes back. So I'm about this moment at the end of time when Jesus will finally squash sin forever and restore things as they were always intended to be. And Paul talks about that very moment in verse 51. He said, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. He said, guys, listen, I have a secret to tell you. We're going to live forever. And maybe you hear that and go, man, I don't want to live forever in this body. This body hurts. This body aches. This body is full of sickness. And, and that would be an accurate assessment if you had to live in this body forever. But what he promises is that what you feel in death and decay, you will not feel forever. You will be completely transformed. And that's the first reason we have hope this Easter, because the resurrection promises complete transformation. See, when Jesus purchased us back from sin and death at the cross, he gave you some transformation right in that moment if you would accept him. He gave you a new heart. Apart from Jesus, you have an inability to follow him. We need him to come give us a new heart. Then he gives us your spirit if we would follow him to allow us and empower us to follow him. Then he gives us the church community to help transform us to look more like Jesus. And so we get this transformation in part here and now, but you get it in completion on the other side of the grave. So he promises that this body will be completely remade, much better than this version. And in fact, it will be as if sin never touched it because Jesus cleansed all of it. So there's transformation coming for your body, but also transformation for your mind, that you never have to feel the anger and sorrow and bitterness that you have felt in this life. You never have to feel the unforgiveness and resentment that has crowded out your heart. He said there's complete transformation. All of you made as you were always intended to be. Well, that's a reason to rejoice, which is what he does next in verse 54. He said, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, 
this scripture is fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul begins to chant over death, you're a loser. He says, death, you've been defeated. Death, you have no hold over me. Death, you have no victory. I win because Jesus wins. Here's the second truth for us this weekend, that we have hope because the resurrection defeated death. The resurrection defeated your greatest enemy. The enemy that doesn't care how old you are. It doesn't care how much money you make. It doesn't care how smart you are. It doesn't care how moral you are. It doesn't care anything about you. And yet no one's been able to to defeat it. No one's been able to outsmart it. Nobody's been able to outlive it. Except Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus yet. You have to answer the question of what you do with death. Because only one person in the history of the world has ever offered a real solution, and his name is Jesus. See, we as followers of Jesus, we need to change our perspective about how we see death. You see, we no longer see death as the end of life as we know it, but as the beginning of life as it was always supposed to be. Do you catch that? Right now, you are experiencing a broken life. God never designed for you to feel this. God never designed for you to know the end of your life was coming. He designed us to live forever in perfect relationship with him. And what we get because of what Jesus did on the other side of the cross is what? It's perfect relationship with Jesus for an eternity where we will never know death. We will never know sorrow. We will never know pain. You see, when Jesus walked out of that grave, he purchased for you a future free of pain, sorrow, and suffering. A future free of relational strife. A future where you are never far from God. A future where you never wonder where your next meal is coming from. A future where you never worry about anything. Why? Because you live in perfect peace with the God who is and always has been and always will be walking with you as he always designed you to be in nearness to him. Church, that is the good news of Easter. You and I are not held any longer by our greatest enemy. In fact... He means really a gateway to the life we've always wanted. It loses its sting. But listen to what Paul says here in verse 56. He said, for, the sin, for sin is the sting that results in death. Romans would say this, for the wages of sin and death, what we earn for our sinful behavior is death. But, and the law gives sin its power, but here's the good news. He says, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, sin and pain are real, but so is the victory of Jesus. And in fact, it's bigger than anything you've ever experienced. It's greater. And I don't know if you know this, but you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have power over sin and death. It's in you if Jesus is in you. Well, that, that changes a lot about how I view my life, doesn't it? If I, if I recognize that the only enemy I'm incapable of defeating has already been defeated, it changes the end of my story. In fact, it tells me that the end of my story is already written. And if that's true, it makes me ask a question. If our future is already written, can we trust him for the in-between? If we know in the end we win, and sin and death have no claim on us, Our greatest enemy is defeated. What else can life throw at us that's greater than death? Nothing. You compare worrying about finances compared to worrying about death. If you don't have to worry about death, then certainly don't have to worry where your next meal is coming from. Why? Because you can trust him for the in-between. 
It's like if you've ever read a book or watched a movie and you are partway through it and you just can't handle the pressure of it anymore. And so you cheat and you fast forward to the end of the movie or you flip to the last page in the book and you just go, I got to know if the character makes it. I can't handle the pressure. And you read the last chapter and you realize that not only does the character live, he lives on forever. Not only does he live on forever, but he gets everything his heart has ever desired. Not only does he get everything he's ever desired, he lives at perfect peace for an eternity you go, wow, that's a pretty good ending to the story. Well, then you flip back to these chapters that you're in, and you read the chapter of Great Depression a little differently. You walk through a season of Great Depression a little differently. You handle that threat against your life a little differently. You handle the fears a little differently. Why? Because you know how the story ends. But listen, this isn't somebody's story out there. This is your story. This is my story. See, because Jesus already wrote the end of your story. If you put your faith in him, you live as a victor forever. Life as you've always wanted it. Forever. Well, now as I walk through seasons of difficulties and trials, I see them differently. I see they're working something in me. I see that they won't be the end of me. I see they won't defeat me. When I'm wrestling against the sin nature that still exists in me, and I hate it, and I feel like it's going to win, I remember that Jesus already defeated. I just have to hold out in hope until I get to that moment when he restores all things. And that includes restoring my heart to never desire to hurt or harm anyone ever again, because God has removed that sin from me. That removal of the desire to be selfish or whatever the sin is for you is gone we would hold out hope right now because of what he has already promised to do in the future. It changes everything about how we view life, which is what he said in verse 58, how he finishes this conversation. He said, so, meaning as a result of the fact that we watch Jesus walk out of the grave ourselves, and because he purchased sin and death, as a result of that, it means something for our life. He said, so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. He said, church, if Jesus really did walk out of that grave and he really did purchase you back from sin and death, you ought to be immovable in the face of life. Your hope ought to be untouchable. Why? Because throw anything at me, I still have hope that in the end he writes every wrong. Throw any prognosis at me. I have hope because Jesus has already written the end. He says that we would be immovable. Here's the third reason we have hope, because the the resurrection gives today purpose. See, we don't go through life just trying to manage pain and medicate and make as much money as we can and try to accomplish something only to die. What's the point of that? It's meaningless. And maybe some of you feel that meaninglessness. You go through the grind and you feel that ache and you feel that emptiness. That is because our hearts were never designed to live life without God. What Jesus offers us at the resurrection is not only a hope in our future, but a purpose today. You've been given a purpose now that you would begin the process of God beginning to transform you as you surrender to him. That you begin to walk into the world around you and you'd see people that you know and you love that are desperate for hope and you'd stand there declaring to anybody who would listen that Jesus is the answer to their problems. That he has already solved their greatest need because he has solved your greatest need and he has solved the world's greatest need. You see, he solved the pain out there and the pain in here. 
And so Christians ought to be the most hopeful people in the workplaces. They ought to be the most hopeful people in the home because we know we have a purpose. And the purpose is to make heaven crowded, to bring as many people to the feet of Jesus that they would not spend an eternity apart from him, which would be terrible, but an eternity with him. As life as we have always wanted it, and it was always intended to be. It also changes how we suffer. Because the reality is we are all touched by sin and death. We all feel pain. We all experience loss because sin is still a reality until Jesus finally squashes it all. But it changes how I go through those difficulties because I recognize that this problem is an opportunity, one, for me to be reminded of how much I need Jesus to transform this life. But secondly, so that the world would see me go through trials differently. So that when they go through their trials, they look in on Christians and go, we want the hope you have because it changes everything. I want you to listen to the story of a man who through trials and difficulties was so convinced that the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for him that it changed how he lived every moment of his life, regardless of his circumstances. Let's listen. Years ago, I had a problem with drinking. Well... That didn't get me anywhere. Matter of fact, this got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of expense. And uh, eventually, I went to AA. They talk about your higher power. But to me, my it's God. I asked God to save Mike, you know, and he did. He saved me from the alcoholism. That was before I think I was saved. I really accepted him into my life, and that was around 2006. God is in control of my life. I let him come into my life. I mean, he's taken a lot of things, a lot of my bad habits away from me, and he's, he's made me a better person, you know? It's not the things that I do to make me better in God's eyes. God makes me better through his grace. And I do good things because of the grace he has shown me. I do good things, well, because I want to, but because he's in me. I have him guiding me. It's like having my dad there guiding me. It's powerful, man, it's real powerful. This has um, been both a uh, trying but a very, very good past couple years. And the reason is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I went to Johns Hopkins and had it removed. But um, apparently they didn't get all of it. And as a result, it spread. One night I went to go get up to... Uh, go to the bathroom and it felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. It turned out I had three fractured vertebrae and a fractured pelvis. Um, cancer spread into that area of the bones and I have it in different areas. So I'm just doing my thing and um, praying and taking care of my wife and praying for my family. To me, I found out the past couple years that the most important choice a person can make in their life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior.
But on the other hand, if you say, hey, I can do these things myself. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. You know, maybe I have Buddha or something, or I believe in the, you know, the trees or whatever, but I, that's not gonna save your soul. You know, there's only one person that was crucified, died, and came back to life. And if that never happened, I'd be a fool. But I'm no fool, because it happened. And I have faith and belief, and I know that someday, my wife and I are gonna have better bodies, looking good. We're gonna be saying, good morning, Jesus. Hey, Moses, how, what's happening? You know, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. Hey, there's Billy over here, your cousins. Oh, it's, it's gonna be good. But the only thing is, you gotta believe it. You gotta have faith. You have to go right to the engineer, the person, the guy who made the machine. Who made us? God made us. So he knows how to fix us. Everybody has their ups and downs. And being a Christian, we have our trials. But just knowing in your heart, I don't worry about things. I know I have these problems. I let the doctor and God take care of them. I just follow the orders. I don't worry. God is in control. Changed my life. Changed yours. Changed Bob's life. Changed my life. He changed yours. Since filming this video, Bob has won his final battle and now stands with his resurrected body. Waving hi to Jesus. Saying hi to mom and dad. And here's what we need to understand, church. Bob won because Jesus won. Well, those who are left grieve over his loss, we also simultaneously rejoice because he received the inheritance he's wanted forever. Because Bob experiences life as it was always meant to be. If you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, I want to urge with you what Bob urged you to, that you have to believe in Jesus and what you will receive is a free gift of salvation. What you will receive is an eternity of hope with him and the strength to endure the in-between. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I invite you to uh, read Romans with me here this morning. That if you believe, if you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's just that simple. That if you would confess in our mouth that Jesus is Lord and declare that he has come to forgive us our sins and be the leader and forgiver of our life, regardless of where you come from, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what your name is, and regardless of what you're running from, the invitation of Jesus is to come home to him and find an eternity of peace with him. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I invite you to pray this prayer with me with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. If you want to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life, pray this prayer with me today. And it says, God, 
I recognize today my sin against you and against others. Today, God, I see my need for forgiveness, and I need you to defeat death for me. Today, God, I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my sins, and I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross to purchase salvation for me. Today, Jesus, I declare that you are the leader and forgiver of my life. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.